0: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange traded funds, Well, you're in the right place. Every week we're bringing you interviews and market analysis and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani, and today on the show we'll hit on the creation of a spate of new stock exchanges, including the newly launched long-term stock exchange. We'll talk to the founder and CEO of that exchange about why the world needs more exchanges and about the red-hot engine of growth for ETFs. That's ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance. Here's my conversation with Tom Leiden, CEO of ETF Trends, Andrew McGormand, Managing Director of ETF Trading Solutions at Wallach Beth Capital, and Eric Reese, He's the founder and CEO of the Long-Term Stock Exchange. Tom, we often say the S&P strives to contain the largest companies in the United States. How is it that they excluded Tesla at $360 billion? And I think that's the 10th largest company in the United States. What exactly were they thinking in excluding this? Yeah, you're
0: right, Bob. I mean, the key point here is the S&P 500 is not the 500 biggest companies. It's actually an actively managed index. And they made the decision, even though it met some of their criteria, not to include it. Um, so what's interesting here, Bob, is that when you look back 100 years ago, the Dow Jones Industrials was the, was the benchmark. 63 years ago, when you and I were babies, Uh, It was the S&P 500. I think the S&P right now is playing defense, and many investors and advisors and institutions are looking for indexes like the NASDAQ 100 that are a little bit more modern in nature that will take into account, especially in this new economy, companies that are more forward-thinking. But they didn't want to take the gamble on Tesla, and that would have been a big move for them, and uh, they're under scrutiny for that. Go ahead, Andrew. I think
2: that uh, it's okay. I mean, I, you're, you're exactly right. I think investors will go to other indices. However, um, you know, I'm not always the biggest believer in that history always repeats itself. And we're in a new time with the, the, the meteoric rise of some of these companies. I'll point out that Facebook took over six months to get included. And I would argue that Facebook had more of a, you know, more of a people thinking about what it meant for our, you know, for everyday life than a, than a Tesla, even though Tesla's actually obviously done quite well. But To have a little bit of human intervention, I'm actually in the camp that that's still okay. Does that mean that slows them down? Does it mean that people say, you know, they're not up to the times? Um, You know, as it pertains to investing, I've seen a lot of rules-based only investment strategies not do too well in this kind of environment. So to take a pause and say, we're going to look at this and just think it over, it doesn't mean that Tesla's never going to make it. I think they're just taking a pause.
0: We have companies like Zoom, DocuSign, Moderna, which are getting a lot of attention these days they are getting a lot of growth. They'll probably continue to grow over time. They're not in the S and P 500 either. Uh, they are in the yeah. in the Nasdaq 100. So again, we just have well, to the be question more sensitive is this. to it.
1: Yeah. Do investors want more certainty with a rules based system like the Russell 1000? I mean, this will go into Russell to Russell 1000, obviously, but this is a reminder, I think, to everyone, the S&P is not rules-based. It's in a, it's essentially a committee. Uh, there are some general rules, but they have a lot of discretion. And obviously, here, they didn't consider size as a critical factor for inclusion right now. Do you think investors are more comfortable, uh, Tom or Andrew, with rules-based systems now that are more easy to discern what exactly the rules are?
2: It's very easy to say a rules system is working now and now it's not working now under the current rules, right, which is going to have as popular times and not. I just am a little old school in the thinking that S&P has a brand and a trust, if you will, right? And you'll see that in that why the institutions and endowments and let's say pension plans, you know, that have promises to their long-term employees, their benchmark ends up being S&P because they kind of trust the process. Um, it's not to say that rules don't work, it's, and there are rules with the S and just think there's some old-school thinking in that, and, and yeah. a brand that they've kind of built with that name, doing kind of a hybrid rules. But we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. we 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 have the right to change. You know, not not just value those rules in.
1: Yeah, the important point here is that we often say the S and P 500 is the 500 biggest companies, and it's not. Um, and while they strive to represent the large-cap part of the stock market. It's not quite accurate to say that they're the biggest 500 companies that are out there. And this is a good reminder uh, uh, of that. I think a better question, guys, is why did they decide not to include it? And I think probably, perhaps, uh, the volatility was an issue there. I think also, what are they exactly? So if you put a $300 billion company in, that changes the market dynamics. What else are you going to necessarily leave out? do they need another category? Right. Is it an auto stock? Is it a tech stock? How about some kind of new category maybe to be created in the future? Um, alternative transportation? I don't know, uh, Andrew or Tom, maybe that's yeah. what they need. My Obviously, is, they're looking for some reason great. to include it, but they didn't make it right now. Why didn't it? Yeah, My, my guess is
2: volatility. You made up a great point, Bob. All that makes a lot of sense. I, let's look at a different stock, just for an example. Let's say Moderna comes out and has the vaccine, right? That will be a really big company really fast if it's not already. And then three months later, God forbid, all right, this one didn't work, scrap it, AstraZeneca. And then what is the SP at? Like, oh sorry we put that in there. We gotta yank it out now. I mean, yeah, rules based would do that for sure. But maybe that's that's a guess. just a guess is that they think about the volatility and the rather meteoric rise of these names. But Tom, I'd be I'd love to hear what you yeah. think.
0: Yeah, so so we know the S&P 500, 28% is represented by FANG and Microsoft. I think investors have enjoyed the run-up that we've seen in those stocks and what that's meant to the S&P 500 index. Going forward, investors, especially index investors, hope that they'll also have a piece of those future FANG stocks. When we see instances like Tesla, which is such a big company not included, that concerns me.
1: We're not going to settle this here. I think the answer is they're going to include it eventually. And I'll bet you they'll create some kind of new sub-index category. I mean, literally alternative transportation or something like that and figure out a way to get it in there. I want to move on here because another fascinating second topic that we've got here today, which is there's new stock exchanges coming, folks. Three of them. Three of them in the month of September. That's a fairly rare event. The question is, do we really need them? But I, the one we're talking about today is a very different one here. Uh, three new exchanges, as I mentioned, but the long-term stock exchange started trading yesterday, and they're pledged to support companies who share a long-term interest in sustainability, inclusion and diversity, and treating employees fairly. Sound familiar? Those are ESG concepts. The CEO, Eric Reese is joining us to discuss this exploding interest. You know, Eric, we do... Uh, Welcome to ETF Edge. We talk about ESG all the time. When I read about the long-term stock exchange a couple months ago, I said, "Darn, this is an ESG exchange. Is that a fair characterization of what you're looking for? What are you trying to do with with the long-term stock exchange?
3: Well, there's no question that ESG is the hottest category in the markets. I mean, what is it, $20 billion have flowed into ESG funds this year? and yes, we think that ESG, we think of it as kind of as a subset of focusing long-term. So uh, when you're focusing on outcomes like resiliency and having a stakeholder approach, um, that's really increasingly what shareholders in society demand. And what we want to do is focus companies on that long-term horizon so that things like sustainability, good governance, treating employees fairly, operating in a 21st century way in the communities that where companies operate, that that becomes a natural side effect or consequence of that philosophy of long-term thinking.
1: And the, what amazes me is you really sort of walk the walk. I was looking at your board the other day, 80% women on it, uh, all eminently qualified, the top people uh, in the field. Uh, I guess the question is, is this the right time to do it? This seems like a hard sell. I mean, we everyone buys into, we see the oceans of money going to ESG. People are buying into the concept. But can you build an exchange around it now? Initially, we had a conversation a couple days ago. You explained to me you're going to go after uh, private companies that are seeking to go public initially to list on the exchange. But you're also in the future interested in current companies that are listing on the NYSE or the Nasdaq, for example. Could could you do you believe you could successfully get I don't pick a company, a Procter and Gamble. I'm just picking one out uh, to change based on the idea that you have a higher listing standard. Would companies receptive to that argument? Has ESG advanced that, that far that you think you could succeed in doing that?
3: This will be the acid test of all these pledges and commitments. I think it's one thing to sign a letter. It's one thing to put lofty rhetoric in a press release or a financial statement. But the question is, what have companies really committed to? So if you look at it from the investor's point of view, a lot of ESG investing is about finding the least bad company in each category and investing in that. Nothing wrong with that. But How are we going to get net new ESG qualifying companies? How do we influence the mind share of the next generation of managers so that they view this as a source of competitive advantage? Now, part of that is on investors to support the companies that are taking these bold stands to make sure, you know, the evidence is very clear that having long term investors on your cap table is a source of strategic advantage and leads to outperformance uh, of any company stock. So if investors and managers are partnered together to produce these outcomes. I think that is the path forward for our society. And listen, that's what stock exchanges at least used to be all about, bringing investors and companies together for mutual benefit.
0: If I can if I could jump in for a second. Uh, so there are fewer and fewer companies that are moving from private to public these days. We know mm-hmm. that. And When they do go public, there's a lot of pressure on. And, and it, there are a lot of business decisions to be made. Can you make a case for having this thematic platform but also offering similar or even better economics, technology, listing benefits that uh, a, a company in going public that would be ESG oriented would want to choose your exchange?
3: I really appreciate that question because I, I don't get to talk about this very often. I'm a technologist by background. That's my training. And LTSE is first and foremost a software company. So this is not just a legal innovation, you know, a technical legal um listing standards innovation, although those elements are very important, it is also a software platform. And we do think that there are opportunities for technology to improve the engagement and relationship between companies and their long-term investors. We're a big believer that companies need to have transparency into who their long-term investors are. And we think that long-term investors ought to get privileged capital raising opportunities from companies uh, whenever possible. So you know, I don't know that in the early days of this, we'll ever get to a point where Uh, Long-term investors, you know, buy stock at a lower price than speculators. I think that, you know, that's a dream one day that we could start to differentiate between the tourists who are just passing through and the citizens of the republic who intend to stay. But I think there are a lot of ways to create true mutual win-win beneficial partnerships between genuinely long-term investors and the managers that want to engage with them.
2: I'm going to tell you, under the hood of the ETF uh, industry, since we're looking at, you know, the bat, Your point is true. I mean, a lot of the push is like, wow, Robinhood, everyone younger wants to be involved in this. But I can tell you, I was on the phone with one of the largest ETF strategists this morning, Horizon Investments. They make it part of their core strategies, right? And they view it as a factor, and a factor to them is a subset of securities that that investors value higher. And they're already at Gen 2, so they're not simply putting – the ideas into their portfolios, they're already doing risk mitigation into that. So what that tells you is if you're doing risk mitigation, that means you're holding on to this investment for a long time. When you get these big strategists who can raise a lot of money and stay long-term and have a great reputation like Horizon does, then you're going to have sustainability. And that is already happening. Um, not that the Robinhood investors don't drive money. They certainly do. But I will tell you that it's already happening with the strategist community in
3: ETFs. 100%. How do you feel, and the other thing I think is interesting um, is Eric- this next generation of companies, they don't like, – a lot of them, you know, they've been very focused on growth, on technology, on building a brand. They have not necessarily started to engage with these issues in the broad way that investors might assume given their size and sophistication. So there's a genuine opportunity here to win over hearts and minds and to change the governing philosophy of the next generation of companies, and that's the ballgame.
1: You've, what's interesting to me about ESG is, well, in theory, m- most people would subscribe to the idea behind it. And there is finally money that's definitely coming in. We, we saw these numbers uh, that we just put up earlier. Uh, yet we're seeing some pushback against this. So the Labor Department, for example, just issued some, some commentary, uh, essentially trying to remind fiduciaries uh, that they should not be pushing what they call social agendas, that their job is to maximize profits for their investors. Uh, and including people who are voting as proxies on that. Um, I, I, I know you pay attention to this, Eric. Do you view this as a sort of temporary pushback on certain parts of, the, uh, of, of businesses like oil that are not necessarily being very well treated by ESG or, and something to overcome? Or do you think this is a
3: serious objection that, that some people like the Department of Labor have had? I mean, it's basically ridiculous. I mean, in the middle of a pandemic and all of the other crises that we're living living through that have made it crystal clear that human capital investment is not a luxury but a necessity, the vulnerability of supply chains, the fragility of business models, like if there ever was a reminder that conditions change and that what is material for a company one day suddenly is not or vice versa. We've really seen this in this crisis in particular, that companies that act to keep employees, suppliers and workplaces safe, they are the ones who are performing in ways that those stakeholders are going to remember for years to come. So to say that that's not that that's a social agenda or that's not material to business performance, I mean, I don't know who said that, but that is pretty absurd. Right. I mean, yeah, the employees
2: want to stay at those companies. They don't want to leave, and that's what grows companies is happy employees.
3: I have spent 10 years yeah. trying to reform companies in a variety of ways you know, through my work on the Lean Startup. And if you've never sat in an all-hands town hall meeting of a large company and watched the questions that, that employees ask to CEOs and seen that change even over the last 10 years, the pressure is not just from Wall Street anymore. Most companies that understand 21st century thinking that are going through digital transformation are in a war for talent. And the next generation of employees, let alone the next generation of investors, they're not gonna tolerate this. So I think there might be some rear guard action, some pushback here and there, but this is a generational seismic change and the next generation wants something different. And believe me, they are going to get it.
1: Yeah, I would agree. The trend is definitely in favor of ESG. How about the competition? So I'm trying to think about this. I'm the New York Stock Exchange or I'm NASDAQ, for example. And I'm saying, okay, so there's this new exchange, a competitor, long-term stock exchange. What they want is sort of higher listing standards, more ESG focus. And I I guess if I was the NYSE or NASDAQ, I would think, well, that's nice, but there's nothing in uh, the listing requirements of the NASDAQ or the NYSE that would prevent any company from having higher listing standards. I think that maybe their attitude might be, well, okay, but they can do that here with the NYSE and NASDAQ. Why do you need a separate exchange? With a completely different listing standards we'd welcome higher standards <laughs> if the companies want you imagine
3: yeah we imagine people said that kind of thing about financial compliance like we don't need standards and rules so just you know anyone can be compliant if they want to be that should be good enough for the public i mean come on uh, when something's important we standardize it and we want to know that there's accountability to following those rules so You know, beware companies bearing gifts. When you read an S-1, when you read a prospectus, and companies are claiming to be a next-generation company, believe in transparency and diversity and inclusion and equality, justice fair, all these buzzwords are loaded up in these documents. I think the public needs to know who's for real and who's not. Now to be clear, we don't view the legacy incumbents as competitors. And you know, uh, old-school, old-fashioned companies need a place to list too. So Philip Morris got to be listed somewhere, I understand that's not really for us. Um, We encourage companies to dual list out of an abundance of caution, still access the liquidity of NYC NASDAQ if they want to. We're happy to be the secondary exchange. We don't need that extra subsidy of running the open and close auction every day. Uh, We want to hold companies to a higher standard and help them develop a governance framework that actually will allow our civilization and our capitalist system to survive and thrive into the next century.
0: And final points here. I mean, there couldn't be a better time to bring this forward. We talk about ESG regularly, Bob, and it's not a fad. It's not going away. We can just see by the numbers. And then, really, Eric, what you bring out in today, what everybody's going through individually with working from home, and, you know, in their environmental and physical resources, social issues that are going on, it's a great opportunity to bring it forward. So, best of luck.
3: oh Thank you for saying that. I'm very,
2: really timely with the city group hire today as well. I, you know, we're very pro. Um, <laughs> gender equality. And we
3: we're very pleased with that news. At a city group. The size of the change. The, the ties are changing. I, I'm blanking on my metaphors here.
1: Well, Tom and good. Andrew, you summarized my feelings exactly, um, so no need to have me do it anymore. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is our Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today, we'll be diving into the ripple effects of the S&P 500s, big snub of Tesla this week and the impact on exchange traded funds. My producer, Kirsten Chang, joins me now.
3: So Bob, I guess I want to ask you about the politics of indexing. Uh, looking at what happened this week with Tesla being left out of the S P and p 500, a lot of market watchers viewed that as a major upset, while others called it a brave decision because of Tesla's somewhat shakier fundamentals. If you look at what got added to the index instead though etsy teradyne Catalent, their combined market cap isn't even a quarter of tesla's more than 340 billion dollars uh, right now but considering the s p 500 is thought to consist of the 500 largest companies in the us what are the implications of this for investors particularly etf investors with so many etfs indexed against the s p 500.
1: i don't think there are many immediate implications for investors because of this I call it a snub, Kirsten, but I do think it's important. I think there's a problem of perception here. So most people think the S&P 500 represents the 500 biggest companies in the United States. And that's not strictly true. As you could see here, they declined to include Tesla, which is the 10th largest company by market capitalization. What S&P actually says is that the index is supposed to measure the performance of the large cap segment of the market. It's considered a proxy for the large cap equity market. And it doesn't claim to have all 500 of the largest companies. That's technically correct, but that's kind of not what the, the public perceives. So I think this is a, a, a bit of a problem. There, the debate here is whether or not people are more expectant of a rules-based system, rather than one that is based on a committee. Now, there are some procedures they follow. Um, that we know about. For example, they want at least $8 billion in market cap. They want four quarters of profitability, things like that. But still, it's a committee that makes a decision and they still have a lot of latitude. And it's not strictly rules-based like the Russell 1000 is, for example. So there's a bit of a perception issue here. And I think this was a bit of a gamble for the S&P Index Committee that decided at least this time around to exclude Tesla. So the problem for them is if Tesla continues to appreciate investors are gonna look to other indexes like the NASDAQ 100, the triple Q's, QQQ, that's gotten a lot of new money. They have Tesla, they have other new economy uh, companies uh, that are in them. So what do you do here? Uh, I think in terms of, the, the question should be, why did they not put it in? And they don't say, uh, and they're notoriously closed mouth about these kinds of things. But I think what their idea was here is, number one, they probably saw Tesla as extremely volatile. And I think they'd probably like to see it calm down a little bit. The other question is, do they have a proper representation of everything they want in the market? Because that's what they care about. Are there other issues that better represent the field? So what is Tesla? It's an automotive company, and yet, if you talk to Elon Musk, he'd say it's a technology company. So the question is, where would it go? Obviously, you'd say it should be in the automotive, but that would be another $300 billion in automotive. And the S&P is very interested in having a balance in the economy about where things are. This is a big stock to stick in automotive. So maybe there's an issue of a category. Maybe I think in the future, and I think Tesla will go in in the future, maybe they need another category. I don't know, alternative transportation or something, a a sub-index that uh, that doesn't uh, exist, a sub-category that doesn't exist already. That's some kind of hybrid of technology and auto that would make them comfortable to to include that. Uh, Either way, this very much highlights what I call the politics of indexing. And Here you have an index that isn't strictly rules-based and that surprised a lot of people. So this goes back to that whole point I always make about buying Mutual funds, but particularly ETFs that are tied to indexes. You got to know what that index is and sometimes a lot of people were expecting the majority to have Tesla get put in the S&P very soon and didn't happen so sometimes things don't always work out again not necessarily a rules-based index when you're dealing with the S&P 500. That's it for today. I'm Bob Pisani. Thank you for listening. And make sure you tune in next week. And in the meantime, you can tweet us your questions or topic ideas at ETF Edge CNBC.